To listen to Memory Card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com memcard. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card Season 8. We made it. Season 8, the Octo. We made it. Haha, <laughs> yes, yes. It's kind of hard to believe that we've gotten to eight seasons of this podcast that we started back in, what, 2019? Yeah, it's been four years already. Yeah, <laughs> close to it. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't have done it without all of our patrons and all of our listeners. So uh, to those of you who have been with us since day one, or to those of you who are just joining us now, thank you so much. You know, it, it's always nice to, to hear from people about episodes that they enjoy or things that they want us to cover. So please know that we do appreciate you. However, Push and I are kind of on the struggle bus right now, as we were discussing before we started recording. Mm-hmm. There's just a whole hullabaloo going on outside my house, which, you know, isn't necessarily bad, but it's not good recording environment. There's, there's some kind of like cleaning truck that's like actively cleaning someone's house next door. And there's dogs barking. There's small children like running and playing. But uh, the good news is that this season we actually hired a audio engineer, an editor, uh, a professional one. So hopefully you're not hearing any of that. And I'm not trying to put the pressure on him. Uh, his name is Mikey. He's a cool dude. Glad to have him on board. And if this season uh, sounds a little different, if there's like added, you know, sound effects and fun stuff like that, that was all him. <laughs> but, but Push, what's going on on your end? What's causing you great distress at this moment? So, one, it's summer, so it's really hot. Um, Japan is like in its hottest heat wave ever currently. And then number two is that cicadas have started. I remember uh, last year we had a couple of issues recording because cicadas would put on a show right. and kind of upstage us. Buzz so loudly. <laughs> so because of that, I have to close my window, mm-hmm. keep my air conditioner off. So as the episode progresses, I'm just going to become a puddle, Yeah, <laughs> melt into water. And um, the third thing is that I, I live near um, woods. Mm-hmm. So I get like cockroaches sometimes in the apartment complex. Oh, I see. You know, nothing to do with my apartment. It's relatively clean, but right. <laughs> it's just like outside, <laughs> like even like t- going outside to take out the trash, I'll like run into cockroaches sometimes. Man. And I, I absolutely hate them. And um, right before we started recording, like I, I just found a cockroach on my ceiling and um, <laughs> I tried to kill it. I failed. I knocked it down. And it is still in the room, trapped Somewhere. in here with me, <laughs> which is causing me some great anxiety. Right. As I continue to look around the room to see if that jerk has appeared so I can gleefully end its life. I think you're the bigger menace here, though. You know, it's like that classic. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. But I don't know. It does sound like the cockroach might have the upper hand on you at the moment sneaking around since um it can fly around it probably has the upper hand yeah yeah you need to like train your own army of bugs you need to be like a mushy king yeah and get your own like beetles to fight off the cockroaches yeah that sounds like a good movie that would be ideal if i could befriend a a bunch of beetles i like beetles (laughs) or i don't mind them i should say (laughs) i just i just hate cockroaches we just lost so many beetle listeners don't even worry about the cockroach listeners they're gone they've they've left i mean they're they're we don't want them anyway 
All right. Well, I don't want to say we're going to make this a quick one, but we'll, we'll get right into it here so we can uh, stop push from melting and potentially being um, eaten alive by cockroaches, whatever's happening on his end. Yeah. But the actual question that I wanted to start off the season with push was what's a video game series that you feel would make uh, into a good movie series? Or maybe just a single movie. The Legend of Zelda. Like, I feel like it's long overdue that it's had, like, a TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so, you know, well-beloved. And um, there's just so much different stories you can pull from. Like, the manga series, I think, is so well done. Mm-hmm. They could easily just take the manga and then just make it into a movie. Yeah, I could see that. Wasn't there... I feel like there was an April Fool's joke a while back. I think IGN did it where they made like a trailer for either a movie or a TV show. And it was like yep. pretty believable, except for the fact that there was like no big actors in it, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think Link said a single word, which, you know, goes along with his kind of silent protagonist vibe. Dan DeVito should be Link. <laughs> hey, what are you guys doing? Moblins. That's my Danny DeVito. It's the best I can yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Navi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be better. Yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, I was actually talking about this with my wife, and uh, she mentioned Metroid, which is funny because neither of us are really into Metroid. Mm. Yeah, I think they could make a really good kind of a gritty Metroid movie. I I mean, the series and uh, Samus Aran, I believe, were based kind of on Ridley Scott's Alien movies. Yeah. So, you know, you could bring it full circle and make a cool sci-fi environment, I think. There's plenty of lore there and, like, cool action sequences and, you know... Everyone likes uh, a woman that's in basically like a tank suit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and um, I think uh, Ash Paulson of uh, Good Vibes Gaming, I think he put together like a Metroid script, what a theoretical oh, yeah? Metroid movie would look like, and it was really well done. Yeah. Well, I I think it was Brie Larson who played uh, Captain Marvel, who has said that she's like down yep. to play Samus. And she definitely has the look, although I think Samus is like six foot something like six foot four or something yeah in the game's uh legitimate lore that's that's hard to find someone who fits that build Mm -hmm. um and also you know looks just like her but yeah who knows all right well we today are going to talk about some uh video games that are movies and some movies that are video games it's our special crossover cross media episode so let's get to it So, Push, do you want to start this off or shall I start things off? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll start off uh, with the one that I told you about. Um, so, I picked, um, Ben and I, we both picked two. Mm-hmm. And um, I only told him one of the ones I picked. And that's because I wanted the other one to be kind of a, a secret and kind of be a bombshell uh, later on in the episode. <laughs> so, you're, you're not even going to tell me now? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you even now. Like, you have to wait <laughs> until we get to that point. But the first one that I wanted to talk about was the Tekken movie. Oh. And um, the movie was released in 2009. And it was um, directed by Dwight Little. But the movie is just so terrible. It has like that early 90s kind of feel to it. Uh, I, I tried watching a little bit of it. And, and I was just like, I, I no, I, I couldn't really finish it. <laughs> so it's got an early 90s feel. But they did it in like 2010. Which I feel like, yeah, even like the thousands, like the early thousands, like the first 10 years of the years, you know, that millennium was just kind of like bad action movies. Yeah. Like everyone was trying to be the Matrix. Everyone was trying to like be X-Men. 
and it's like over the top, mm-hmm. but they just quite, they hadn't like quite figured out like how to stylize it. Not that there aren't great action movies in that time period, but yeah. So tell me more about this this fantastic movie. Yeah, so uh, basically the story is, um, it, I think it's loosely based off of Tekken 3, but it like derivates from that story so much that like Tekken purists are, are really upset <laughs> because it just doesn't make any sense to the game's lore. But uh, essentially it stars uh, Jin Kazama, who is the grandson of um, Heihachi. Oh, this guy with the pointy hair, right? The famous one? Yeah, the guy with the pointy hair who appears on the, the background of Smash Brothers. Oh, right. Who's like slightly considered, but then uh, they end up going with Kazuya, who is the son of Heihachi. <laughs> so uh, Jin is like the son of Kazuya. Mm-hmm. So in this story, there's Jin Kazama and like his mom. They live together in like this really rundown part of town. And um, Jin's kind of a rebel. Um, you know, he gets in trouble. And um, eventually his house gets blown up and his mom dies. And uh, he, he finds out that his mom was like a Tekken fighter. <laughs> and that's like a big deal because like his mom was like, don't you, you know, don't you ever become a Tekken fighter? And so like Jin was just like, well, I'm going to become a Tekken fighter now. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but what is a Tekken fighter? Like, what does that mean? Uh, in this one, it's like um, the Iron Fist is like the tournament to like de- decide who rules the government. Ah, yes. So Tekken fighters are the ones that enter this tournament to see who is the going to rule. Yeah, to see who, who will rule. And um, in in the movie, um, Heihachi and um, Kazuya, they're like running the show together, which like if you ever played Tekken, like they absolutely hate each other because Heihachi keeps on throwing people off the cliffs <laughs> and then like Kazuya throws them off the cliff. So, like, they just have, like, this deep hatred for each other. Um, so, in the movie, like, they're kind of working together, which, you know, doesn't really make sense. But then, eventually, um, you know, Heihachi, he realizes that, like, Jin is, like, part of the Mishima bloodline, I guess. So, he's, he's like, trying to kind of help him out a little bit. And, like, Kazuya is just like, no, we can't have any of that. So, like, he, like, overthrows Heihachi in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like turns against him and like it seems like Heihachi is, is like executed at one point but spoiler alert he's not in a post credit scenes like right before he's uh, executed he says I am Heihachi Mishima I am Tekken you will obey <laughs> and like the guy stops like doesn't doesn't go through the execution and lets Heihachi go he became Tekken yeah so like Kazuya he's in this tournament there's like a love interest and everything like that hmm. and um uh, Kazuya, once he overturn like overthrows Heihachi, he basically changes the rules where the fights must be to the death now. So like things get really bloody, um, but not really. Jin eventually wins against Kazuya. So I mean, obviously it's a bad movie, but did it like do okay at the box office? No, it, it like lost a bunch of money. Like for some reason they made a prequel for it, uh, which is called like Tekken Two: Kazuya's Revenge, which sounds like a sequel, but <laughs> right. it's a, it's a prequel apparently. Huh. And um, that was released in 2014, but like the reception to the movie is just not good. Like it has a zero percent on um, you know for a critical score, and then like a 31 percent approval rating uh, by audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's 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 not well loved, and like most of the, the videos and uh, coverage I've seen on it kind of discuss how bad it was. 
And this wasn't like a direct tie-in to any particular game or they didn't make a game like of it, right? It, w- it was kind of loosely based off of Tekken 3. Oh, yeah. I remember you said that. So they just kind of took all the lore and jumbled it all together. Yeah, to try to make it Hollywood eyes, I guess. Mm-hmm. One of the things that people do like about the movie is the costumes. Like people say like, oh, the costumes were actually pretty well designed. Hmm. But that's about it. And some of the actors in the movie, you know, they've appeared in the other, like, Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat movies. So they're, like, pretty decent actors. It's just that <laughs> script in the direction wasn't there. Imagine if that was, like, your niche. Like, you had an agent and they're like, yeah, he's he can be in any movie, but it has to be based on a fighting video game. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man, put him in the new Mortal Kombat. Put him in Tekken. Put him in the new Smash Brothers movie coming out soon. <laughs> he can be Donkey Kong or Liu Kang. <laughs> That's it. Those are the only two. All right. Well, mine is uh, quite quite different than Tekken, I would say. And um, it is actually the game Blues Brothers 2000, which is a platforming game for the N64. And it's actually, I mean, I have a lot of N64 games. I feel like I'm pretty well versed in that console. It's one of my favorites. I do not have this game. And uh, as I was researching it, I kind of looked at it like, oh, do I need this? Should I buy this game? <laughs> but yeah. So a little bit of background on the Blues Brothers in general. Do you know who they are? Yeah, I, I know who they are. I lived through the 90s. <laughs> so for those who don't know, the Blues Brothers are an American blues and soul band, but they're like a fake band that became a real band. Um, they're actually made in 1978 by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, who are best known for sketches on uh, Saturday Night Live. And the Blues Brothers like was a sketch on Saturday Night Live. And then, I mean, both of those actors, like careers, you know, kicked off. John Belushi was in Animal House. Dan Aykroyd was in Ghostbusters and uh, a whole host of other like classic comedy movies. But basically what they would do is they would put on these suits and sunglasses and they would play, you know, jazz music kind of erratically, you know, like doing cartwheels and stuff on the stage. But it was it was good. It was good music, obviously, um, because they went on to like go on to sell an actual album that was called Briefcase Full of Blues. Mm-hmm. They opened for the Grateful Dead on a tour as they were uh, promoting their album, and uh, they did have a couple of fun hits. The one that I feel like most people know is um, Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. Mm. I, I can't remember if that's the whole name of the song, but it's it's a pretty good one. It's a fun one. Everybody! And uh, so basically what happened was, and this was pretty common back in the uh, SNL days, was you have a hit sketch, you make it into a movie. You know, that's how we got things like Wayne's World and uh, Superstar and that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, they made the original Blues Brothers movie where they're basically on a mission from God. That's what they say to uh, prevent the foreclosure of the orphanage where they were raised. And there's wacky hijinks there's all sorts of like cool musical like special guest stars i'm pretty sure like james brown shows up and yeah they eventually they get into it with all these different you know police and neo-nazis and they they finally get all the money so that was that was kind of a surprise hit in the theaters but uh unfortunately uh that was in 1980 in 1982 uh john belushi died of a heroin overdose heroin and cocaine while he was out partying with Robin Williams. And uh, so, you know, that kind of puts a hamper on 
the ability to make a sequel when one of the two main stars dies. Yeah. But that did not stop them from making the Blues Brothers 2000. And that actually came out in 1998. So this is, you know, 18 years removed. They're like, we'll make it a movie about how John Belushi's character is dead. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but we'll get like people to fill his spot. They got some little kid to get in there and he was like the little miniature Blues Brother guy. They got John Goodman who kind of uh, filled in that role. And then they got a bunch of the people who did, you know, the special um, musical guests to come back. You know, Aretha Franklin, James Brown returned to do songs. So Mm -hmm. it was not a great movie. I'll be honest. I haven't seen it, but uh, it was screened out of competition at the uh, Cannes Film Festival, if that tells you anything and and only went on to gross about 14 million dollars at the box office so Mm. not the best however apparently they thought this movie is good enough that it deserves its own nintendo 64 platformer and uh, the funny thing is you know it's called blue brothers 2000 because that was kind of like a thing around the year 2000 it's just tack on like 2000 (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) to movie titles and games and things. But it came out in 1998. But the actual game for the Nintendo 64 got delayed so much that it did come out in the year 2000. So it was accurate in that one uh, specific respect, I would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of like from all the reviews I've read and the videos I've watched, it's kind of like Super Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie and Parappa the Rapper kind of like had a had a baby. But that baby turned out to be like really ugly (laughs) and kind of of dumb, I guess. Yeah, I I mean, it's basically like run around and collect things. It's a -a collect-a-thong game. Um, You can do backflips and butt stomps. And I mean, they basically stole the Super Mario 64, you know, playbook in terms of controls. But there is some like rhythm sections where you have to like tap buttons to the groove or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, obviously, it's kind of hard to make a video game based on a property like that. So they had to super like cartoonify it and put them in these like, you know, weird environments where there's like zombies and stuff like that. So they can uh, make it more appealing, I guess, to kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. Apparently they also stole a little bit from Metal Gear Solid because there's a a exclamation point that like shoots up over your head when you get, uh, Ah. when when enemies like see you. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's kind of funny that they went for that that angle as well. But yeah, it did not review super well. It, it's funny because it, it's really like fluctuates. Like IGN gave it a 5.4. Nintendo Power gave it a 6.8. And then there's a couple of them that are like, yeah, ni- 90%, like 9 out of 10. <laughs> like, man, yeah, they really liked Blues Brothers 2000. But um, not the best video game, not the best movie, but an interesting legacy of how we got from uh, a sketch comedy bit in 1978 that morphed into a musical career that morphed into two movies and then a mediocre nintendo 64 game we're gonna put things on a pause for a moment to hear a word from our sponsors memory card that's us that's right we're our own sponsor and if you'd like to support us you can leave a four or five star review on the podcasting platform of your choice or follow us on twitter at memcard show but ben what about our fantastic patrons Of course, of course. In fact, our wonderful patrons over at Patreon are really what make this show possible. And if you are feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com slash memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes, 
Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. What's our sticker for this season, Push? Well, since it's our eighth season, we actually have this wonderful little robot, Octorok. And it was actually illustrated by my friend, uh, Midoribin. You can follow her on Twitter at Midoribin underscore art. Very cool. Eight legs for eight seasons. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's go ahead and get back to the show. All right, now it is time, Push. You, you have to reveal your secret. I'm going to be really <laughs> mad if it's the same one that I picked for my second one, but it shouldn't be because you already knew what that was. Yeah, I, I think you told me your second one, so. Right. Do you have some, like, super, like, awesome scoop on the new Mario movie that's not out yet that you're going to, like, lay down right now? <laughs> no, but um, I, I do have a question for you. What is your uh, favorite uh, board game or, like, you know, classic game, like, you know, Monopoly, Connect Four, that kind of. Mm, um, I really like, and this is a deep cut. There's a game called Racco, mm-hmm. where you it's it's old school. I played with my grandma a lot, and you basically like adjust the different cards that you're given so that they go in order, but you only take one card at a time and like shuffle them around. It's it's really fun. Um, outside of that, big fan of Sequence and uh, Clue. I'm really disappointed that you didn't say uh, Battleship. Oh no, not Battleship. Because <laughs> that is. That is the the, the mystery tie-in that I, I want to talk about. So, um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a Battleship movie oh God. in uh, 2012. It was directed by Peter Berg, mm-hmm. and it was based on the, the hit board game by Hasbro um, Battleship. Are we covering board games now? I didn't know there was a lot. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, this gets even more meta. Yeah, so um, in, in the movie, there uh, there's like a naval fleet in Hawaii, and they contact aliens in space uh, because they find out that there's pl- a planet that has like, you know, uh, similar conditions as the Earth, where it's not too far away from the sun, not too you know, too close. It has like mm-hmm. enough mass to produce oxygen, stuff like that. So they, they go ahead and contact that, that planet. And then aliens come and like, start like invading. <laughs> and, um, it's up to this fleet in Hawaii to protect the world from this, uh, this alien threat. Mm-hmm. And, um, it stars, uh, Tyler Kish, I guess. And, uh, Rihanna also makes an appearance. Liam Neeson is also in the movie. So Rihanna actually won the worst supporting actress, uh, <laughs> the Golden, Golden Raspberry Award, <laughs> but then also won the Teen Choice Awards for character uh, for movie breakout. So um, interesting. Anyway, you know that that film came out. It's it's kind of like a Michael Bay mm-hmm. film in a lot of regards. It's just like you know explosions, special effects. You know, every five seconds. Mm-hmm. It, it grossed uh, enough money like it it got its money back so that's good (laughs) that's good i have a i have a small i know you're you're building to something maybe yeah i watched this movie with somebody and i'm not gonna say their name it's a friend or family member you know who you are and i don't think they listen to podcasts but yeah and i watched it with them and i was just like this is the stupidest movie like it's so i don't know it was somehow like boring even though it was like chock full of action 
Yeah. And they just like loved it. Like thought it was such a good movie. Oh, God. And every time I think of Battleship, the movie, uh, all I can think of is that person like being like, that movie was great. And me being like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I tried watching it over the weekend and I had to turn it off because I got so pissed at like the opening <laughs> sequence because like they had all the logos like appear and then you're like, okay. But then they had a black screen that just redid the logos that was just like you know a universal films movie and it's just like you just showed the logo they had the little introduction like bits where they have the <laughs> and then they did it again yeah yeah and then, <laughs> and then like the the first like half hour was just like so terrible to watch because it's just full of cliches and yeah it's pretty badly bad acted. acting yeah anyway sorry <laughs> so Based on the hit movie that's based on the hit board game, they decided to make a video game oh. called Battleship. Ah. <laughs> uh, so there's Battleship for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and then there's also Battleship for the Wii DS and 3DS. Mm. So the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, that game is basically a Call of Duty clone hmm. where um, it's a first per- like a third-person shooter... You go around and um, you have to, like, deactivate bombs and shoot aliens, I guess. Mm-hmm. It rated really bad. Like, <laughs> it's like 50, uh, 4 out of 10 kind of uh, 50, 50% kind of rating, generally speaking. Oof. It's just, like, completely unremarkable hmm. by all accounts. The Nintendo version, the, the Wii DS and 3DS version, was basically an Advance Wars knockoff. Oh. So it was at least a little bit more in tune to the the board game, which inspired the movie, which inspired the game, the video game. <laughs> so people like were like, "Oh, it's 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 better than the PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Sixty version because you know at least it kind of goes for the essence of of what it what it was you know what it was inspired by, but right. uh, still not that good. <laughs> and that also got like a fifty five or sixty percent rating." So the developers for the PlayStation and the Xbox 360 were, uh, is a company called Double Helix Games. Mm-hmm. And for the Wii DS and 3DS was uh, done by Magic Pockets. Hmm. Both versions were published by Activision. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? That's the secret. The secret was the battleship that was based on the battleship that was based on battleship. Yeah. <laughs> the game that became a movie that became another video game. No, I didn't see that one coming. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I'd like to see a novel adaptation of the video game, personally. <laughs> and then a play based on that novel. I guess that's a challenge for all the listeners, <laughs> is to uh, take take the video game and make it into a novel. Yeah, or maybe just some fan art, you know? Draw some fan art of the game that's based on the movie that's based on the board game. That'd be easy. Just draw us a little boat. Yeah. You can do that. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to write a whole novel. I mean, unless you want to, by all means. Well, uh, my next movie, uh, gosh, it's, it's kind of similar. It Well, it's a little different. Mine is just straight up a video game series that became a movie that did pretty well, but was apparently not so great. And that is... The Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, the movie. So I'm going to get into this a little bit. I definitely kind of fell down a little bit of a rabbit hole on this one. Uh, So let's start off with the games. I don't think I knew, or at least I didn't know for a long time, that The Prince of Persia was like an 8-bit, 
you know, old school PC game to begin with. Are you aware of that? Yeah, yeah, I was aware. Because that was like a, a Game History Daily uh, tweet. Oh, right. <laughs> Says, you know, the, the people who run the account. So Jordan Mechner is the creator of uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. And he actually attended Yale and um, like started writing like Apple II computer games while he was there and submitted a bunch for publication. You know, some were rejected. And eventually he got his first published game, which was called Karateka, which came out in 1984 and actually went to number one on the Billboard software chart, which I wasn't even aware was a thing. Uh, it's now my goal to get onto the Billboard software chart. So in 1989, after working on it for three years, he released the original Prince of Persia. And the game looked pretty cool because he used something that's called rotoscoping. And for those people who don't know what that is, it's basically when you go and you take live action, you know, video of a real person, and you go back and you animate over it. Something that they did a lot back in like the 1930s to get more like fluid dance movements for cartoons, they would have someone do it. And then they would go through frame by frame and animate over them to follow their movements. And so this is something that he did to make the the movements in the game look really cool and fluid mm -hmm. despite the fact that they were like super simplistic and it wasn't like a runaway hit it actually sold pretty poorly right out of the gate but it got ported to more and more systems and is actually now one of the most ported games in all of gaming history mm. i'm sure skyrim is, is sad to hear that they're not you know number one or perhaps tetris but uh, yeah, so the original Prince of Persia, you know, is kind of a flop and then it comes back and Mechner gets to make Prince of Persia 2 in 1993, which was called The Shadow and the Flame. Um, and this one also received critical acclaim and um, eventually some high sales. And then in 1999, they make Prince of Persia 3D. And this is released under like a different label. It only comes out for the PC and the Dreamcast, and it was, like, not great. Apparently, it was, like, really buggy, didn't have, like, the best story, and uh, the rights to Prince of Persia are eventually sold to Ubisoft. Woo! Yeah, which is <laughs> not, you know, Ubisoft in the news, not always the best, but in this case, this was a, a great thing. So, they buy the rights to Prince of Persia. So when they bought the license in 2001, they realized that the actual IP still belonged to the series creator, Jordan Mechner, and he really wasn't into making new games because of how bad Prince of Persia 3D had gone. But eventually they like show him some sketches and they talk about their story ideas and they're like, hey, why don't you actually come on the team and help us create this new like 3D version of Prince of Persia. And this is where the Sands of Time like series basically comes from. And so in the game, you're this unnamed prince and he obtains this artifact. It's called the Dagger of Time, which is very cool. And basically it can make you like rewind. So if you jump over and grab onto a ledge, it, you, you rewind time and then do it again, but do it better. So the story is the vizier tricks the prince into releasing the Sands of Time and it, it transforms the people of Azad into savage monsters. And so you have to, like, basically, you goofed up, and you got to go back and fix, like, you know, what you did. Yeah. And so it's all about 
attacking enemies and freezing time and, you know, manipulating it to fix everything. And there was a few sequels that didn't do quite as well as Sands of Time. There was The Warrior Within, there was one that was called The Two Thrones, and there was one that was The Forgotten Sands. And those came out, you know, over the next 10 years or so. And then in 2004, the production company Jerry Bruckheimer Films uh, wanted to acquire the rights to The Sands of Time. Do you know what series they famously produced? I'm not very good with names. Why is all the rum gone? Huh? No idea. No? No. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was he was the producer and kind of like the driving force behind Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. And, uh, you know, that had obviously come from like a theme park ride. So he's like, hey, if I can make a hit, you know, movie out of a theme park ride, I can make one out of a, you know, blockbuster video game. How hard could it be? So, yeah, they entered negotiations and eventually they were like, yeah, sure, we'll make that. And they were like, yeah, it's going to be the new Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, we're going to have this giant budget and all these special effects. And it actually did pretty well. It uh, had a total worldwide gross of $335 million, which is not bad. Um, And it actually broke the record for like the most that a video game movie had ever made. Um, which was previously held by Lara Croft Tomb Raider Mm. and uh, was eventually broken in 2016 by the Warcraft movie, which was another game that I was like, ooh, should we talk about that? Yeah, I almost picked that one as well, but (laughs) I thought it'd be kind of low-hanging fruit. Yeah, but it's interesting to say that when it came out, it debuted at number three in the box office behind your two favorite movies, Push, Shrek Forever After and Sex and the City 2. So. Mm. It's interesting that they just so happened, you know. They, they both share a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, let me tell. You. In terms of plot, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shrek in the city <laughs> forever. Oh lord! <laughs> but yeah, so the movie. I mean, everyone was like, "Yeah, like it's okay. Like it's a pretty good action romp. You know, there's some good fighting scenes. It's a little over the top. It's like a swashbuckling movie." A lot of people said, "Like, ah, it's pretty good." asterisk for a video game movie which you know (laughs) gets tossed around yeah a lot but i think it it ended up getting a score that was like 50 percent or so on rotten tomatoes it had a cinema score of like a b on an a plus to f scale so yeah so when this came out in 2010 hollywood still kind of dealing with some diversity problems Mm -hmm. as far as the Uh, something called whitewashing. And uh, this is like when they cast uh, Scarlett Johansson in Ghost in the Shell, which is like a famous anime Mm -hmm. about a robot from Japan, an android. And everyone's like, why is is it a white lady in that role? And that is uh, kind of the problem that they ran into with Prince of Persia because in the lead role, do you remember who who got the role? It wasn't it Jake Gyllenhaal? It was Jake Gyllenhaal. A lot of people, I think probably now in this time, would know him best from Spider-Man, the, the second rebooted Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, where he plays Mysterio. He was in uh, Brokeback Mountain, very famously. He was in Donnie Darko. One of my favorite movies that he's in that's extremely uh, creepy is called Nightcrawler, and it's not about Nightcrawler, the X-Men. It's just about this guy who's like a psychopath, and yeah, like 
It's the best Joker movie I've ever seen that's not <laughs> actually a Joker movie. <laughs> not a Joker. Yeah. So if you're uh, above the age of 18, go watch that. It's it's intense, like in a kind of a disturbing sort of way. So, yeah, they decided to cast Jake in this role. And, I mean, Persia is is like Iran. I hope I'm correct in that, but I'm pretty sure that Persia is another name for Iran or it's like the ancient name for it. So the problem is that Jake Gyllenhaal is not at all like Middle Eastern. He just his heritage is not anywhere close to that. I thought like, oh, you know, some people you look at him and you're not quite sure. Like maybe he's got it like on his dad's side or something. But um, his background is essentially Swedish, English, Russian, Polish. I think he has some Jewish ancestry, which is cool and fine, but it doesn't really line up with, uh, you know, that character and like, I guess, you know, who should have been playing them. They probably could have found a very talented Middle Eastern, you know, hunky guy to play that role, but they did not. And I mean, it's been brought up enough that Jake Hall like, is aware of this issue. He said, I think I learned a lot from the movie in that I spend a lot of time trying to be very thoughtful about the roles that I pick and why I'm picking them. When he was asked about, like, you know, his involvement with the movie. Mm-hmm. He knows it wasn't the best pick, but I'm sure, obviously, it was, like, a big box office draw. A lot of people got a crush on him. And, uh, and that's it. That is the Prince of Persia, Sands of Time movie. Didn't review very well, but made a ton of money. I kind of wanted to end this uh, episode on a positive note yeah. and give a recommendation for a good video game tie-in movie. Okay. Uh, if you ever get a chance, definitely check out the... Um, there's a Japanese adaptation of Phoenix Wright, mm. which was, like, like I think released in theaters here. And um, it's insanely well done. Really? Like, the, the special effects, the characters, the story, it lines up um, really well with the first uh, Phoenix Wright game. That's fun. I watched that movie first, and then I played the games, and I, I was like, oh, this is a really strong a- adaptation. Yeah. Like, the characters are true. That that genre kind of lends itself well to being a movie adaptation because of it being so story-focused. story, story focused. Right, and like the outlandish characters that shout things at each other. Yeah. It, it does seem to lend itself well. Honestly, I mean, there have been some good video game movies. I, I really like Detective Pikachu. Mm-hmm. I thought the both the sonic movies were were good i mean they weren't really tied to a video game per se but they had a lot of fun like easter eggs and the story was you know decent so yeah so now we just wait we wait for the super mario movie that's uh, made by the minion people and we just we hope and we pray <laughs> that it's decent although even if it's not you know it's seth, gonna seth be rogan as uh, donkey kong yes yeah yeah, but I mean, even if it's not a good movie, you know it's gonna just be full of memes. It's gonna be meme city. Yeah. So, and then in 10 years' time, we'll do a uh, podcast about that. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. This episode and every episode in Season 8 was edited by audio superstar Mikey Yankovic. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter. 
at memcardshow, or you can visit our website, memorycardshow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. These people include Jillian Gammon, Jackson Bertoli, Courtney Cotton, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Shala, Sandra L., Nick Callis, Jaehoon Jeong, and Sean Marafini. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.